Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you joined us. Well, good morning. We are excited that you are with us. If you're a first-time guest, special shout-out to you. But if you've been at Faith for a while, we are so grateful for you in this Thanksgiving season. We can't say that enough. Well, it's Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for, right? Come on, let's shake our heads up and down. We're excited. We got good food, right, coming up this week. Kids are out of school. I know some parents are like, oh boy. And some parents are like, woo, family time. We also have some great relationships, friends, and family. Um, When it comes to family, I have this working theory, okay? This working theory is this. There's always that one individual in the family that leaves everyone else speechless, and not speechless in the good way. The speechless in like, did they really do that? Did they really say that? Speechless. I also would like to take it a little step further. Usually uncle precedes the name. Usually it's uncle, you fill in the blank. We all have that uncle, right? That's 85% of the time you're like, well, I don't have an uncle. Okay, maybe it's cousin, you fill in the blank where everybody is scratching their head and say, did they really do that? And we're left speechless. So I think it's very important in our faith journey, no matter where we are at, we have an accurate, authentic view of ourselves. That whenever we, just in a moment, we're going to look at a story where Jesus left some individuals speechless. But part of our faith journey is knowing and making sure that we are individuals that have a starting point that is accurate to our faith. So I'm going to open up with James chapter 4, verse 10. And this is what is said right here. And we'll turn. It says this. James, Jesus' brother, says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And in other words, a starting point in our faith journey is recognizing that we are nothing until God comes into the mix. We believe that here at Faith, and sometimes that can be hard news for us to swallow because no one wants to be a nothing. No one wants to be that awkward family member at the table that everybody is scratching their heads. But in our faith journey, we are the individuals that if we want to have an authentic relationship with God, we have to come to this moment where we need to humble ourselves before the divine creator. And that's what we believe here. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, let's start there with humility. And that's what we'll be looking at. Before we go any further, let's pray this morning together. If you'll bow your heads with me. Lord, we give you this time. We give you this moment. May we leave here better than the way we came in. May you speak to our hearts, shape our minds and our souls. And may we be so grateful in this season for a relationship with you. And in your holy name, we all say, amen. So two monks, they were discussing humility over a steak dinner. One said this, I have been praying and fasting and meditating, studying religion for over 20 years. I have finally reached a level of humility and I am truly a nothing. The other monk nodded gravely and said, I spent my whole life devoted to serving God. I too am truly a nothing. At that moment, a janitor walks by. He steps away when he's cleaning up a mess from a table and He's feeling quite spiritual at that time and leans over to the monks and says, I too feel like I am a nothing. The monks look at each other and 
they make eye contact and have grave disgust on their face and they say, who does he think he is to think he is a nothing? Oftentimes in our lives, we have this wrong perception or understanding of what it means to be a humble individual. We equate humility by being in this moment where we are maybe in a sorts of sense or a season of punishment, or we think of ourselves as second-rate citizens, or, hey, you know what, I need to be overzealous, and I need to be this individual that just pushes everything to the middle of the table and says, I'm just not good enough. And we equate that with our human perspective of humility. See, humility isn't about that. Humility isn't about thinking of ourselves as second-rate citizens, but humility has God in the mix. I love what one theologian, he says this, he says, and humility is an attitude of lowliness and obedience grounded in recognition of one's status, status before God as his creatures. I love what C.S. Lewis, the great theologian and and author. He says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less so you can think more about God. That's humility. So no matter what you see on the news, no matter what celebrity you follow, no matter what athlete says, if God is not in the mix, then humility is not present. Humility is equated with God. It's removing ourselves and replacing it with God. So join me Jesus teaches about humility in Luke chapter 14. It's in your notes. We believe here at faith that if we read, write, and recite, we're better to retain what we discuss this morning. Let me fill you in. Jesus is having a dinner with some Pharisees. He had dinner plans with some individuals who were trying to cause him to fall into a trap. He uh, shows up, they they attend a a synagogue service, and then he gets invited over to one of these key leaders' house in chapter 14 of the Gospel of Luke. And they, they put this individual across the table from Jesus. This individual is a man that would, really wouldn't be at the table in the first place with a Pharisee, wouldn't be around a Pharisee. If you're not familiar with who Pharisees are, they're these overzealous religious individuals that added so much to the gospel and they, they were legalistic, they were ritualistic, and oftentimes they couldn't measure up. They're extremely hypocritical. So they invite Jesus over for dinner. They have these dinner plans. We're in the series the next two week dinner plans. And when they begin to have this conversation, Jesus sees this man with dropsies. It's a disease or a condition where someone's soft tissues in their hand and feet would swell up. And when Jesus sees this man, he heals this man. Now, he has the understanding of what is going to take place, what the Pharisees are really thinking. See, it, it was against the, the culture, it was against Jewish law to heal on the Sabbath, so they thought. So they're trying to trap Jesus. Jesus heals this man and, and he leaves them speechless. We see this in the first few verses of Luke 14. And then Jesus asks them a question. He goes, wouldn't you, if your ox or your son fell into a well, wouldn't you go and save the ox or your son? Again, he leaves them speechless. So when they're sitting there, they're speechless. They don't know how to interact. They, they're kind of missing the mark. And when their dinner plans were one way, Jesus came and redirected the ultimate plan in their life. And he gives this teaching of humility. So join me, Luke 14, verse 7. 
When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Now, the head of the table is not what we would know as it is now, but it's this triclinian table where it's more of a U-shape. It's the picture of the Last Supper table, and then there's tables on the side. And what would happen is the person with greatest honor, the host, would sit in the middle, and then the person with the next degree of honor would be next to the host, and it would work its way all the way around the table. So that's the setting. That's what Jesus is referring to and talking about. In verse 8, we continue, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you also has been invited? Now, a couple of things I want to highlight real quick. First, a wedding is something that's very common in this century. It was one of the most common celebrations when people would show up. But two, and come on church folk, we got to be real with each other today, is this. If you want to choose your seat, you got to get to the party pretty early, right? Some of you are picking up what I'm putting down right there. Like, I can't pick my seat. Service, what time's it? Star, you know, like that's what Jesus is saying. You got to arrive early. But whenever you arrive early, whenever you pick your seat, don't go into the most, the, the greatest position because there's someone that's going to be more distinguished. Verse 9, continue. The host will come and say, give this person your seat and then you will be, embar- and then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table, and then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus says, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 12. Then he turned to the host, and and at this point, just is addressing the guests, and he turns to the host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, let's be clear. Jesus isn't saying don't have lunch with your friends or don't go to parties with your family and friends and your, and your close colleagues. What Jesus is saying is don't do something with ill motive. So today I want to talk to you about three mindsets or three attributes of the humble. The first one is this. The humble make others the priority to eliminate insecurity. The humbles make the humble make others the priority to eliminate insecurity. We see this time and time again. People battle insecurities. An antidote to our insecurity is focusing on someone else, is addressing the need of someone else. See, Jesus says in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, what if someone else more distinguished comes into the room? What are you going to do? See, we'll sit there, and in that moment while we're at the table, we we picked our seat, we want self-affirmation, but then we'll always be looking past the other guest. We'll always be looking past the host if we're focused on our seat versus focusing on the door. See, it's, it's it's that you're sitting there, you're anxious, you're saying, I hope no one else comes in this place and takes my seat. 
See, a lot of times in our culture, it's self-promotion. The Pharisees had this really weird, skewed view of they would promote themselves, and in return, others would promote them, and it was this back-and-forth kind of social currency. See, what Jesus is saying, if, if you want to eliminate the insecurity of your life, you need to address the people of your life. I think so many times we get caught up in saying who's going to come in the door, who, well, what's going to happen, uh, am, I, am I rightful place? One rabbi put it, he says, whenever you think you should be at a certain position, you should actually go three rungs down in that position because it's about others. It's about focusing on those who may be coming through. It, it might not be in that place or that posture of, oh no, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, we don't have to think like that. All that is removed. See, position yourself in a seat that promotes others to be honored. When we give up our rightful place and we say, I'm going to be down here, what we're saying is we're expecting someone who might be smarter, who might be more distinguished, who might need the honor more than we do. Jesus is addressing that. Oftentimes in our, in our relationship with the Lord, we turn to him for our physical needs, our maybe mental needs, our ailments with our family, whatever the case might be, but what Jesus also is teaching here is he's also here for our social pain. Verse 9 talks about embarrassment. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for some time, and I've looked, uh, met with many students and even adults to this age that some of the greatest things that they can't get past is some embarrassment that has happened in their past. See, I want you to hear this, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you have faced, that Jesus is here even in your social pain, which is ultimately what embarrassment is. See, Jesus has given us the foundation. If you want to skip past the embarrassment in your life, start with the humility and how you view humility. Where are you going to sit at in the table? King Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk this planet, says this in Proverbs 25, 6 through 7. Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head of the table than to be sent away in public disgrace. What we see happening in our community, uh, Fort Myers area, is there's a lot of people moving into the area. There's a lot of growth happening. I'm excited for the days in the future of our church, but what can also happen is people move from different places, and I've heard this time and time again, they can move here, but they better keep their thoughts there. And sometimes we can get scared, we can get nervous, and we can get insecure. Oh no, what if my political agenda gets skewed? Or what if there's missed opportunity in our community? What's going to happen? And I've talked to people who've moved from New York, from Michigan, from all over. And as a pastor, I'm excited because that's more people in our community. That's more people for us to reach. But what I also see rising to the surface is as we're a connected church and we're a community, we have to really fight against saying, hey, I know these people, I know those people, let me stay inclusive, let, let me, let, let me, let me, or let me be exclusive, excuse me, and just stay to my pocket and the people that I know because we're nervous what we don't know. That's why you see in 2022, we're having groups come up. Because we believe we're a connected church. We want to stay connected. We want to build and foster community. So that means we always have to work on prioritizing other people. And that alone can be extremely challenging. That alone can kind of strike a chord with us. Because it's some things we don't know. 
See, when Jesus is sitting at the table, when he's looking at the guest and he's out there, he's, he's saying, you don't have to worry about what comes in the door when you're worrying about the person that's right in front of you, the person you're honoring. The humble, they prioritize people to eliminate insecurity. Number two, the humble, they start at the lowest place. They start at the lowest place. Oftentimes in our life, attending the event isn't quite good enough. We want a role at the event. See, the humble, they're just grateful they're at the event. They're just grateful they're there. They're just grateful they're in the presence of the Lord. They're grateful for the opportunity to be there. In Luke 18, we see Jesus, he's telling this, uh, this parable that's along the same lines. Again, a Pharisee, this man who's quote-unquote separated from this tax collector. And when he starts talking, this Pharisee, he comes in and he's before, he's before the church and he says, I am not like this unjust adulterer. I'm not like this tax collector, this swindler. In fact, I give on everything that I get and I fast twice a week. But then this tax collector in Luke 18 has this clear picture of who he is and he says, Lord, I'm just not good enough. And then Jesus goes on and he highlights that repentant tax collector as him understanding the position of humility. So we need to understand this. When it comes to starting at the lowest place, it's not our responsibility to highlight ourselves, to bring notice to ourselves, to celebrate ourselves. See, in Matthew 23 and in Luke 11, we see this, this similar story, and it talks about the Pharisees, and Jesus goes, and they love the place of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. So we need to understand when it comes to starting at the lowest place, it's not celebrating ourselves to where everybody knows who we are. See, it's always been a part of culture. It's always been a part of the history. Now we live in a self-promoting uh, social media age. I, I know that sometimes it can be challenging. I love social media. It's fun. It's a cool way to connect with people. But what can be very challenging is we only promote the great things of our life. That sometimes we can have this misconstrued real aspects in our life. See, self-promoting is something we always have to fight against. And Jesus is saying, when you show up, when you're there, when you're present, think of yourself and say, hey, I want to give my position. I'm going to start at the lowest place so others can have that position. But see, on the other side of it too is this, not only do we not celebrate ourselves, but too, we celebrate others. It's our responsibility to celebrate your neighbor. It's our responsibility to celebrate your friend. See, celebration of someone eliminates criticism of someone. When you're focusing on the good in their life, you don't have to worry about the bad in their life. Oftentimes we are quick to maybe throw the spear and Jesus is saying, no, we don't want to do that. We want to say, hey, that person's coming in. Let's celebrate them. Let's give them a round of applause. Let's cheer them on. Let's encourage them. I love what Pastor Steph said here earlier. He says, you have to express gratitude verbally, audibly. Some of us, we need a little bit more of that in our life. Some of us, you know, we, we, we come out the gate and we're, we, we say, you, you can tell everything up and down, right and left, what's wrong in the picture. We're saying, you know, let's just take a step back and end this week. Let's celebrate what's actually going positive in this picture. My son, uh, I have two of them. Bodhi is five, is playing t-ball for the first time this uh, past fall. And uh, I unfortunately missed a game not too long ago. 
he, uh, and I was out of town and he was playing t-ball and I came back, I, like I'm a sport, I have a sports background, love sports, like go Cincinnati Bearcats, top four baby, yeah, let's go, woo, we're going, all right, had to say that. Uh, so my son's playing t-ball, I missed a game and I uh, come back and talk to him a little bit, I'm like, hey buddy, how's the game? And he's giving me the detail of play-by-play and uh, very mundane, like, yeah, dad, I hit the ball good. I feel the ball good. I'm like, good job, man. Like, no more excitement. But then if I go talk to my mom or his mom, Brittany is like, oh, he did fabulous. He's just amazing. You know, like the mom, like, all right, really, what's, like, where am I at? But I know someone in my family that can always give me the truth. And that's my four-year-old, okay? My four-year-old, if you know him, his name's Briar, and he's got this face that makes you be like, oh man, he's going to be danger in the truck. Like, I'm praying heaven down on this child. So when I see this, I'm like, Briar, he, he comes in and he hears that I'm talking to Bodie. He comes in and he slides like that, you know, like Tom Cruise smile. And he is like, dad, Bodie did awesome. He was like hitting the ball far. He was feeling the ball. And, and he's like running around in our kitchen. He's like doing what Bodie was doing. He was mimicking his older brother. At that moment when I'm sitting there, like my heart is melting. I'm thinking like, man, that's my youngest son celebrating his oldest brother. Like in scripture, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, so many conflicts happen within the family. But what was interesting when I, when I looked at that, I didn't really care about T-ball. It's T-ball. I mean, like, I mean, yay, T-ball, right? Like, my heart breaks for the kids that strike out, you know? Like, but like what, entity, what, what in, immediately wiped everything away was seeing that younger son celebrate his older brother. So you can imagine Jesus looking down in our lives, each and every one of us, He's not concerned if you're highlighting all the good merits you've done or everything well in life. Like, yeah, he wants you to have a relationship. But can you imagine what kind of viewpoint he has when you're saying, I'm celebrating them. I'm celebrating them. I'm celebrating them. We're taking all the attention off yourself and you're pushing it on somebody else. See, that's the gospel. Love God. Love people. The mindset of the Humble number three for us today is this. They reward those who can't repay. See, up until this point, we see that Jesus is speaking to the guest. Jesus is talking from the guest perspective, but then he turns his attention and he starts talking to the host. He looks at the host and he he gives him very clear directive. And he says this in Luke 14, verses 12 and 14. Let me read it again. It says, then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay repay you. See, it's not about our temporal blessings. It's about our eternal blessings. It's coming to this understanding that salvation comes only to the humble, the broken, the contrite who plead time and time again for mercy and grace and nothing more. Jesus described them as poor in spirit in Matthew chapter 5. Reward those who can't repay. 
Now, I said it earlier when we read the text that it's not a position of I'm going to go find all the strangers that I pass on church and invite them to lunch and say I'm going to pat myself on the back, but it's really about the heart issue of what's taking place. Are we individuals that are concerned with this social currency that's happening between the Pharisees? I'll invite them because I know they can repay. I'll treat them well because I know they'll treat me well back. I will honor them because they will honor me back. I will love them because they love me back. Jesus is saying it's not about the reward at all when it comes to that moment, but it's about your heart issue and how well you treat individuals. I love what uh, uh, reading about biographies. I love re- or, uh, reading about biographies. I love reading biographies on people. I should be a little more clear on that. There's this man by the name of George Washington Carver. You're probably familiar with him. He's done so much with peanuts. But what's interesting about this individual, he is one of the most brilliant minds of his time. He met three different presidents. He was deemed as the African-American or black Leonardo da Vinci. He, he brought a new transformation in agricultural and, and, and that society, in that realm. He was named 1941, Harold Lamaze, I, I just said, a black Leonardo da Vinci. His death, after his death, five years later, he was the face on a, a postage stamp. All this was counterculture, was against the norm for this man. He was born in the Civil War era, and then he died in World War II era. Remarkable individual. Eric Metaxas, when he reads or when he writes about him, I, I came to this conclusion and I was wondering, how did a man like George Washington Carver get an opportunity to do something that culture said, no, you could never do. He was born a slave. He was born when we see a a time of people just being, just looked down upon. A, a, A wartime era, a man who had limited maybe hope. How did that individual have the opportunity that maybe others did not? Well, his father, his unsaid stepfather, foster father, his name's Moses Carver. Now, I wish I could stand up here and say Moses Carver was a good man, a perfect man. Truth is, I don't really know. I just remember reading about his life, and this is what was fascinating. Moses Carver, he actually trafficked, human trafficked uh, the Carver family. He bought George Washington Carver's mother, Mary. Now, this is unprecedented for a man like Moses Carver because he was an individual that didn't believe in slavery, didn't want to engage in that act and all of that. He's even written in memoirs that he brushed shoulders from Springfield, Illinois, brushed shoulders with a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln. But his wife was alone and in the house and he felt like she needed a companion. And so he went and purchased this lady by the name of Mary, who ends up being George Washington Carver's mother conflicted his whole life with this idea that he participated in human trafficking. It wrecked his heart, wrecked his mind. He didn't know what to do, felt like he could never get past it. So he decided from that moment when Mary had her children that they were going to be his. 
Now, if you know anything about the story, some bad things happen. Bushwhackers come into the time of, uh, of this Civil War era, and they take the Carver family, and, and Moses, or, uh, George Washington Carver is the only individual they could find. A man by the name of John Bentley goes and recovers him from a cave. See, the bushwhackers, what would happen is they would come in, they would raid in the Civil War, and then they would take slaves, and they would resell slaves for more of a profit. But see, nothing was useful when, with an infant during that era. They didn't know what to do, so they left him in a, can, a cave and abandoned him. So John Bentley, who was hired, gave him 40 acres and uh, uh, Moses Carver's best horses, says, go recover my, my, my children. So as he goes and he tries to recover, the only person he brought back was George Washington Carver. See, what's interesting that I find fascinating about the story is this. Moses Carver and their, their life, he gave George Washington Carver opportunities. He said, go paint, go, go look in nature, go to school, let's see what we can do. What are the options? What can I do to support you? He's repaying George Washington Carver, treating him like his very own son. See, yes, did he make the greatest mistake, arguably one could say in humanity, absolutely. But he didn't let that mistake determine and dictate his life and say he couldn't move forward and couldn't make a difference. See, George Washington Carver was given an opportunity. He was, in a sense, rewarded he was given this, this, this time and, and this, this, when society would say no. See, I want to encourage you here in this place right now, you might be making one of the greatest mistakes or have made one of the greatest mistakes in your life that you never could get past. It might be hanging you up in your mind and it might be still reaping consequences financially or maybe just spiritually or emotionally on your life. Something that's happened 10, 15 years ago. But see, when it comes to humility, it's saying, God, I have made a mistake. I have messed up. Use me at this point to move me forward, to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your call, to be a part of what you're placing on my heart. See, uh, the story with Moses and George Washington Carver, he could very well have just wallowed and said, I'm done, I'm empty, I'm I'm a mistake. I made a mistake. But he didn't let his mistake define him. He went on to influence the future through raising George Washington Carver. Today, I want to encourage you, no matter where you're going, whatever's happening, whatever you're faced with, you have an opportunity to reward those who can't repay you. Reward people that maybe you're going through something, reward people that are down and out, maybe you need to give them words of encouragement, maybe you need to buy groceries in this Thanksgiving time, maybe you need to just pray over them. We have a blessing board over here to my left, you're right, maybe you need to go pull a tag and say, who can we sponsor? What family can we bless in this season? We get it, it's, it, it's, interesting times, it's interesting thoughts, there are emotions that we have to navigate and I want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you are doing, you have a God that loves you so, so much. 
he wants to honor you, but it begins with us coming to this position of humility and saying, God, honor us, but let us reflect on the greatness in your life. At this moment, I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come down front. We're gonna have what we call a response time or an altar time. We believe that power, that there's power in prayer and that prayer changes things. And we, we know that there are uh, some, some big challenges in life, some, some moments where we are conflicted or hurting or pain. And, and we realize that we want to stand hand in hand with you through the power of prayer. We want to pray over you. We want to, uh, in essence, stand with you in this faith journey. But we also believe that it begins here. And here's our hope for you today. It's this. You can see real quick is that you start a relationship with Jesus. That you start a relationship with Jesus. And this is how we believe that. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So maybe you're praying that right now. It's working in your, that you're feeling that impressed on your heart right now. Here in just a moment, when we enter this, I'm going to encourage you to stand up, come forward, pray with one of these individuals. We want to stand with you. We also believe in practicality here at Faith. We have a communication card we would love for you to fill out at the lobby because we want to walk hand in hand with you. And we also have our number that you can text. Text the word follow to 772-444-7101. And we'll leave that up for you. So our hope for you is that you understand that it's humility is the position where we start in honor. We believe that life is better together and that we all need a helping hand. And I want to encourage you in this Thanksgiving season, what do you have to be thankful for? I know I'm thankful that I get to have a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you'll stand with us, we're going to enter a final song this morning. And we're going to pray. Pastor Steph's going to sing. And if you need prayer, healing, whatever the case might be, maybe you started a relationship with Jesus this moment, right now, we want to pray with you. Let's bow our heads, Lord. God, we give you this time right now as we corporately pray and we honor and we love you and we thank you for giving us a clear perspective of our authentic selves. Though you are the great creator, you are the Lord. Lord, I pray for those individuals who are battling, who are going through some hurt financially who are going through some relationships that are struggling Lord that are in this Thanksgiving season but it's not a time of maybe great rejoice but sometimes it's a time of great reflection and hurt and pain Lord we pray right now that you continue to lead us guide us and may you continue to win out in our lives may we leave here better than when we came in in your great and holy name we all say thank amen. you for joining us for today's service if you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. 
Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday Morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.